Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to talk today about a topic that's often avoided by Baptist preachers or preachers of our denominational influence, the, the doctrine we stand upon, because there's so many false teachings out there, so many books, we ignore the subject. I preached on every uh, chapter of the New Testament over the years, and here I preached on every book of the Bible in the year and a half, or almost two years I've been here, except three books. But uh, this is a chapter I don't remember uh, preaching on for a long time, so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. And these eight verses inform us that we're in a battle. When we were kids, we used to hear that little poem. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight, not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. You remember that? I probably quoted it wrong. And we are in a battle, and a lot of Christians don't realize spiritual warfare is real. It's biblical, and we have to be on guard because we are in a battle. Paul, of course, is writing. This is one of his Roman epistles. He wrote the prison epistles here, one of those, and he's about 60, 64 years uh, after Christ had left the earth. He's writing this from a Roman prison. Paul, of course, as we know, Saul of Tarsus, uh, you know, uh, out to kill heretics, and of course uh, was on his way, uh, had killed Stephen, was on his way to get more names of people to kill, and God saved him. And shortly thereafter, he won his first convert to the Lord, Sergius Paulus, then he began to go by Paul, possibly after that conversion uh, there. But he's the writer of this book, and we know that uh, that Ephesus was the main banking center in all of Asia Minor. Asia Minor today, we know it's Turkey, the country of Turkey. And my daughter-in-law was a missionary there for years. There was the Temple of Diana there. The Greeks called it Artemis. This was the goddess, uh, uh, I believe, goddess of fire. And that was there, and there were temple prostitutes working there, and silversmiths who made silver idols for the temple. And they all hated Paul because he preached against immorality. He preached against idolatry. And so a riot broke out. They're going to kill Paul. He had to leave the town. He came here on his second missionary journey and started this church. Later, he came here and stayed three years. And he writes this book for, uh, later to the church of Ephesus. And we look today at chapter 6, verse 10. Stand if you have that. The tradition here is to read together. And so we'll read that together. Uh, I was, um, I love uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 7 says, the ar- calls it the armor of righteousness. But here in verse 10, it says here, finally, my brethren, he's going to conclude this great book with a very important topic. He says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word strong, of course, our word dynamite, you know that word. We find that word dynamite. Then we find this word power, a word translated often in your Bible, dominion. And then this word might here is a word translated ability. So he says, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Roman soldiers, when they locked arms were and didn't retreat, were almost invincible when they worked as a unit, and they were strong, powerful, and mighty. Let's pray. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world, that we, God, will draw closer to you as we examine this matter of spiritual warfare. I know the enemy hates this topic. He hates to be exposed for what he is. He's our adversary, as Satan means. He's the devil, the diabolus. He's our enemy. He's a deceiver. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the lion hiding, waiting to pounce on us and destroy our lives. And God, having seen him uh, at work so many times in my life, 
I, I, I hesitate even to, to preach on this, God, but I know that you laid it on my heart and I ask you to bless now. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. I, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be saved, but you've called me to preach and today you've laid this on my heart. So I pray you'll speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was reading about the Second Chance Body Armor. It's an organization that makes body armor. And they, they made body armor for policemen and security guards. And people were getting killed wearing the armor. And they found out there was a flaw. And uh, so they had to change the way they designed the armor. And, of course, there would be lawsuits. You can imagine all that. But God's armor doesn't have a flaw if we just put it on and understand what it is. So we're looking, picking up in verse 11. And here we mentioned the importance of strength in the Lord or being strong in the Lord. Now we're going to look at the matter of standing against the methods of the devil. If you look at verse 11, he says here, put on the whole, put on the entire armor, put it all on. Verse 13 says the same thing. Put all the armor on, put the whole armor on. And this is a direct command in the grammar here in the Greek. In other words, he doesn't give us a choice. We should put it on. In other words, every day we should be put, have the, have put the armor on. We should have put the armor on so we can stand against the devil. So we're, we're told to put the armor on. That's our English word panoply is the Greek word there, but, and it's a command. So we can stand here, it says, against the wiles. I heard a preacher friend one time say the willies of the devil. But it's the wiles of the devil. And this is an English word to mean devious or crafty or cunning. But it's the Greek word. You're familiar with this Greek word because one-third of our English language came from Greek. The Greek word is methodi. And we get our word methods from it. So it says here that we are to put all this armor on so that we're able to stand against the methods that Satan uses. Now, what are his methods? We're going to talk about that today. In chapter 4, 27, he says, uh, don't go to bed angry. And he talks about knowledge in that verse. He talks about knowledge in several of these passages. Don't go to bed angry. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, and neither give place to the devil. Don't give him an inch. How does he operate? We'll talk about that in a moment, too. Now, you have to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and you have to mark your Bibles. You should already have written here in this, underneath the word wiles, the word method or methods. But you need to mark your Bibles in 2 Corinthians 2.11. We're going to read a verse. It says here in 2 Corinthians 2.11. I'll pick up in verse 11. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for you are not ignorant of his devices. Now, pastor, devices. What are his methods? What are his devices? Well, we're, we're, we're taught that here in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. Chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. So go there. Chapter 10. We'll be there in verses 4 and 5. We're going to look at verse 5 right now. Um, because we want to mark our Bibles and understand the meaning here. In verse 5, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says, Casting down, and mark these words, imaginations. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge. Mark that. Against the knowledge of God in bringing 
into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That word thought there is, comes from the same Greek word. It's translated devices in chapter 2. Here it's translated thought. What is this spiritual warfare? I mean, we know Jacob physically wrestled with the Lord. What is spiritual warfare? Back to Ephesians, and we'll, we'll stay there for a few moments. He says here, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, we think about combat and all the different things in the Bible, about warfare and, and fighting and, and the Olympic Games and all the different things. The Bible presents all these things to us as part of what we go through as Christians. We're told to run the race, and that word race is the Greek word agonize or agony. It's agonizing. Life is hard. In this week when I decided to preach this message, I'd been studying it. You knew it was coming. Some people had said we look forward to that message. And I decided about Thursday, do you know what happened to me the moment I decided to preach that? I began to be attacked over and over again. Mentally, I became discouraged. I've cried for three days. Last night, I was up at the foot of my bed on my knees in the middle of the night crying and praying. I've cried. I had some bad news come my way that just broke my heart. So I've cried about that. While studying this, the devil just kept pumping thoughts in my head, making me think of other things, think of some things that were wrong. I always tell men, you know, when you think you're doing well, little Miss Cleavage walks in front of you half-dressed. He puts thoughts in your mind. He discourages you. He lies to you. He always works on our minds. That's the battle. You see the word thoughts here. He works on our minds. He deceives us. Constantly working on us. And we're going to see more of this today. So we know uh, in 2 Timothy 2.26, it talks about the thoughts and understanding and thinking. And he says that we have to be careful because there is this snare, the definite article, the snare of the devil. What's his snare? Tripping us up, confusing us. Do you know how many people are discouraged right now? Do you know how many people should be here today? I know a lot aren't here because of the holidays, but I had wished when I prepared that everyone would be here, but I hesitated to even announce what I was preaching, but I knew some that are struggling mentally with things in their life. Depression is a sin that the devil uses to get us down. Deception, the bipolar things, all these things are, are, are affecting our lives because he works on our brains. Now, he can't read our minds, but what he does is put thoughts in. We're told to gird up the loins of our mind, to not let thoughts in. The moment they come in, we have to get them out, dispel them. He'll say to you, oh, this person doesn't like you. He'll say, ladies, you're, you're not what you ought to be. You're not as pretty as you should be. You're, you're fat and you're, you're not good and you're not acceptable and, and you're not worthy. And he says, man, oh, wouldn't she be nice to be with her? And he puts all these things in her mind. That's how he operates. That's our warfare. All about the mind. And now we know that it says here now, picking up in verse 12, it says four things we wrestle against. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in high places. You're going to find out what each one of these things are. The word principalities has to do with celestial uh, uh, hierarchies and celestial 
in the celestial world. The actual word is the word arch. Remember Gabriel, uh, Michael was an archangel, and I suppose Lucifer was too. He's never given that title, but we believe he was. So we wrestle against celestial powers, leading powers, celestial beings, the leaders in the spirit world. Now that sounds phony baloney, but that's what the Greek text tells us, and the English text makes it very clear. Our wrestling match is not with flesh and blood. Oh, I have an old flesh that's sinful. My flesh loves to do everything wrong. I mean, let's face it. What is it that causes me to eat too much or lust or get angry or impatient? What, what is it that causes people to desire things that are harmful for the body? Old nature, the flesh. Satan works here. And that causes the flesh to start thinking how it would be satisfied doing what thoughts Satan's put in our minds. And that's the battle, mentally. Every day, thoughts come into your mind. Even while I'm preaching, thoughts have come into your mind. He wants you to daydream. He doesn't want you to get this. He doesn't want you to mark your Bible. He wants you to forget this as soon as church is over. What does 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says? He blinds the minds of those that are ready to be saved. He doesn't want the gospel uh, to make, make it easy enough for them to understand it. And what does he do all day and all day long and all week long to us? Messes with our minds. Puts thoughts in your minds that aren't true. And that's the battle. So we wrestle against principalities, and then the next one is the word power, and that's not the same as the word power above. This is a word translated 30 times in your Bible, authority. Authorities. You know what Satan's called? The prince and power of the air. So we wrestle against authoritative beings, not fleshly beings. While we know angels can appear in the flesh, they don't usually come and wrestle somebody. Sometimes I've wondered with all this transgender stuff going on, uh, what's going on? This guy's competing against women. Uh, but but that's, that's not Satan. That's a human being. But Satan can appear. But we know that's not how it works. While he's able to appear, because angels are able to appear, again, it's spiritual warfare. We're wrestling against powers, authorities of the air. Jesus taught as one having authority. He had power in his teaching ministry. And, and the, the devil has authority over these evil powers. So second, we have the, 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 the Bible says the principalities and the powers, these authorities. And third, the rulers of darkness. And this is the word cosmo crater, you know, cosmopolitan. We're in the cosmos. That's what this world is called. That's the Greek word translated world. So in this world, there are rulers of darkness. While Satan can appear as an angel of light, he's really the ruler of darkness. And we are in a wrestling match against him and all the demons that, that are with him. Every angel's a, every demon's a fallen angel. They were cast out of heaven. And Satan has a host, host of fallen angels. Thank God we have guardian angels. They can't harm us without God's permission. But boy, he has free access to put thoughts in our minds, which plague us day in and day out. We think bad of people. We think bad of ourselves. We think things that aren't real. We think of the wrong things. Constant, constant battle. Again, we have to gird up the loins of our minds. 
So he says here, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and what does Romans 13, 12 say? Cast off the works of darkness. Darkness is a metaphor in Scripture speaking of evil. Light's a metaphor in Scripture speaking of good and speaking of God, who is the light of the world. And then finally, he says, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now that word translated high places is translated to heavenlies in 310. So here are beings... And, and we, this says spiritual wickedness. This means wicked spirits. And you say, well, pastor, this seems weird to me, but, but it's biblical. We are in a wrestling match against these supernatural beings. So you have to understand that we're in this battle every day. Every day. Why no one falls morally without first thinking about how fun it would be to fall morally. No one becomes an alcoholic before first thinking about how that drink would taste after not having one for a long time. He constantly puts the temptations on our mind. He knows every one of our weaknesses. Did you know that? He loves to discourage because a lot of people don't think discouragement is sin. They think depression is, is just normal. And actually, depression is sin. It's saying, I don't trust you, God, to deal with the things in my life. And so I'm going to brood about it. And I'm going to get way, way down. And your pastor gets way, way down sometimes because he's losing the battle spiritually. And he's got to gird up, amen, and get armed for the battle. It's a battle every day. You say, well, then, pastor, what do we do? Well, we don't use carnal weapons, as 2 Corinthians tells us. Peter tried to cut a guy's head off, took the sword, and the guy ducked, he got his ear. Moses went and killed an Egyptian. That, that's not how we fight the battle. We're not fighting flesh and blood. Our opposition is not the sinners in, in Rossville, Fort Oglethorpe, and East Ridge. Our opposition is, is the enemy, Satan, in his realm, realms of angels. It's spiritual warfare. Don't get in physical fights with lost people because they're not believers in Jesus. They're not the enemy. They're sinners for whom Christ died. We have to love them like Jesus loved the woman at the well. You know what I love about Jesus? <laughs> a lot of things I love about Jesus. But he was a friend of sinners, wasn't he? Sinful people liked the guy. He'd sit down and eat with a, a drunkard. And he'd get criticized for it. But he's a friend of sinners. He cared about the woman caught in adultery. He wrote something on the ground we have no idea. I've heard it preached probably wrong so many times. If I preach it, I'm going to tell you I don't know. He could have written the man's name. We don't know what he wrote. But he who hath no fault casts the first stone. But he loved those kind of people. You know who he combated with? You know he called vipers, whited sepulchers. You're white on the outside, but you're death on the inside. The religious people. The Pharisees. He never spoke condescending to the publicans, the sinners, the prostitutes. He spoke condescending to the hypocrites. The so-called church crowd that went around with their noses in the air. The Pharisees and Sadducee, because they denied the resurrection, Sadducee. And those are the people he talked about to their face. He called them those names. Of course, he didn't sin because he's Jesus and he never sinned. So don't go out calling people names and saying, well, Jesus did it. I know Jesus. He's a friend of mine. You're not Jesus, okay? You remember that line. But, but we find here that we are told not to use carnal weapons. So what do we do? 
Starting in verse 13 again, we see the word stand. He says here again, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. Again, that's the second time, that ye may be able to withstand. Again, we're told to stand. Then in verse 14, stand therefore. Stand, stand, stand. We're told to be strong in the Lord. Then we're told to stand. How do we do this, pastor? How do we do this? Verse 12. Well, we were told about the enemy, verse 13, wherefore stand, that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, the day he attacks, and having done all to do, stand. And then it says, stand therefore. Now he's going to tell us how to do it. Satan likes to pick us apart. We're told to watch and pray. We're told to watch and pray. And we're going to look here in a moment at verse 14. But verse 14 to 16 is one long sentence, and verse 17 to 19 is one long sentence. Just no period until the end of those three verses. I remember in Panama, in the canal zone, I'd go fishing for peacock bass. I mean, they were awesome. You catch a lot of them. They're good eating, and they had a little peacock on their tail. It's always amazing to me what evolution does. Uh, it's obviously sarcasm. They're peacock bass, and we would catch them. I'd take my boys, bring my boys, and we'd catch a a ton of these fish out fishing. Had a lot of fun, but we'd get there in the morning and the docks opened at six. The boat people would arrive. You could rent a boat, buy your minnows, and go out fishing. But until six o'clock, there was always a guard on guard duty. And it was a military guy in uniform sitting over there in front of the place, just guarding, keeping thieves away mostly. And sometimes I'd arrive there early and I'd get there 10 minutes early and come up quietly and I'd look over and he'd be asleep. And I thought, oh, that guy, if he gets caught sleeping on guard duty. And I would encourage him. I'd say, be careful, man. You were sleeping. You know, don't get caught. (laughs) I wasn't in the military. I was in missions to the military. And I remember how dangerous it was for his career for him to sleep on guard duty. And what if it was wartime? Be very dangerous. Folks, don't sleep on guard duty. The Bible says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. How then do we, do we battle Satan? He says, stand therefore, and now he tells us what to do. First of all, verse 14, having your loins girded about with truth. Satan's a father of lies. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the... And I love John 17, 17, sanctify thyself according to thy word, and thy word is truth. There it is. You're going to find that Scripture's tied in with all this armor. All this armor. We need the truth of God's Word. Don't live a life of deception. Be people who are truthful. When you begin to tell the little white lies, before you know it, you'll tell the bigger lies, and Satan will have a foothold in your life. Then he says, having the breastplate of righteousness, in opposition, obviously, to unrighteousness. I love the fact that the Bible says Christ is in us, the hope of glory. He's called the Logos. It's a little Greek word. Sometimes you can find the Logos Bible program. He's called that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Remember in the beginning, Genesis 1, John 1, 1 John 1, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Logos, it says, became flesh and dwelt among men. And then the Logos takes up residence in our life. So the Lord is living in our lives. Second, while the breastplate. Third, having your feet shod with a preparation of the gospel. The word preparation 
actually is a word having to do with, with uh, being established and founded and settled. And part of our armor is to have our feet shod. The Romans would shod their feet so they wouldn't trip. Romans uh, tells us how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel. Isaiah says the same thing. So having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. The gospel literally is a Greek word of evangelism. So part of your armor is to be a witness for the Lord. Years ago, I worked at a health spa. 19 years old when I, I, I got the job. And at that time, I was in shape. And I was a trainer and taught people how to get in shape. Now I need to go and get trained how to get in shape. But, uh, you know, I remember those days and I was always witnessing. It was just kind of pounded in my head to witness in school. And so I was constantly witnessing more than I do now. And I became kind of almost a pest, you know. And, and I would try and do it when, it when I wouldn't take away from my work and my duties, but I'd try and always witness to all the people who work there. Do you know I was never invited to their parties? I was never invited to the bars. Why? Because I was witnessing. And when you witness for the Lord, your coworkers don't want to ask you to hang out with them after work because they know what they're going to get. I'm not saying we ought to pressure people into salvation. I'm not saying that. But they know you're a Christian. They really don't want to be around you. So when you have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, that's part of the good armor. And the gospel, of course, is the word of God. And you know what the Bible says? Ye are our epistle, known and read of all men. We're not written with spirit on tables of stone. We're written with the spirit of God on tables of the heart. You're a Bible everywhere you go. And so when you're girded, your, your loins are girded with truth, and your breastplate with righteousness, and your feet are shod with the gospel, when you're living for God like that, Satan avoids you. So what does the Bible say? Resist the devil and he will flee. That word resist means stand. How do we resist him? Well, by putting the armor on, first of all. So we have these three pieces of armor. And then we have the fourth piece. And he says here in verse 15, verse 16, and above all. This doesn't mean height necessarily. This word means on the outside of everything. Now, one of the last two pieces is the helmet of salvation, which goes on the top. But the phrase above all means outside of your armor. You want to have the, 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 the shield of faith. So above all, on the outside, we have the shield of faith wherewith we are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. And so that shield, they, they, there's different stories I've read where the Romans would dip that shield to stop fiery and poisonous darts, kill the poison, different things. We're not sure of all the details. We find some literature, Josephus and other things that help us, but we're not certain of everything. But we know, know the shield was very important. And it was outside of the armors, above all. Here it was. You know, and it was used and manipulated, moved to protect them from the enemy. And then he says, the shield of faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word. So this shield of faith, the gospel of peace in opposition to war. Satan's a warlord. We know that. Then the shield of faith in opposition to doubt. Do you know doubting is sin? Everything that's not of faith is sinful. And then he starts one long sentence in verse 17. And he says here in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Salvation in opposition to damnation. Now how are we saved? First Peter 1.23 says, 
We're born again, not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible, by the Word of God. It's all the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. He lives in us. We protect. We pr- we're protected by the, 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 the shield of faith, by the breastplate of righteousness, by the, our, our loins girded with truth, and the helmet of salvation. The salvation is so vitally important. It's the most important thing. We can't, we can't go to heaven if we're not saved, obviously, but all the center of the brain activity is in that helmet. Doubting your salvation is something that hinders your walk. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. And then finally, our only offensive weapon here. He says, and take the helmet of salvation, and then the last line, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's described in Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It can divide the soul and the spirit. It can divide the joints and the marrow. When I was a meat cutter... Uh, for 10 years, Red Food Store, way back then. And I remember we had to cut chickens by hand. Now, then they went to the saw, and now they get them already pre-cut. But I could take a chicken and cut up in parts in less than 10 seconds. Rip the thighs back, I knew right where that joint was. I knew where the joint of the drumstick was. Cut it right in the joint, not through the bone. Rip the wings off, the breast, and strip the back off. Why? I knew where the joints were, and I had a sharp knife. Do you know the Word of God is, is so powerful? It goes on to say in Hebrews 4.12, not only does it kind of divide the joints, but it also, the Bible says, the Word of God knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart, of your heart. He knows what you thought today. He knows your intentions today. He knows all about it because of the Word of God. And when I preach a message like this, I, I, I don't have anybody in mind. I, I've known preachers years ago. I had a young preacher. He'd preached and he targeted someone in his church and he came to me for advice and I said, don't do that. I, I don't like preachers trying to be the Holy Spirit. Amen. Preach the word, the message God gives you and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Amen. I don't know your hearts, but I know this. While I'm preaching, He's speaking to you about something that may not have anything to do with what I'm preaching. Because that's how powerful the Word is. It knows our intentions and our thoughts. And so the only offensive weapon, we out of the six pieces, only one of them is offensive. It's a sword of the Spirit. So here we have this wrestling match going on with the enemy. Demons, fallen angels, we're in battle with them all the time. We're told to live this life, to put this armor on, but the only offensive weapon we have here is the sword of the Spirit. I I love this illustration that I I read this week. A guy who was a veteran 50 years ago said, when I was in Army basic training, I'd spent many hours on the rifle range. Two-thirds of my training was on the rifle range. I tore apart my M16 and cleaned it several times a day. I went to chow with my M16, went to sleep with my M16. I went to the latrine with my M16. It's the bathroom. I I could put it together, take it apart, put it together blindfolded. I knew that weapon inside and out. I knew how to fix it if it broke. And still today, 50 years later, I can still do all that. I learned it that well. You know, we're told in Scripture to rightly divide the truth. Folks, you need to understand and learn your Bible. Now, Satan's not afraid of this. It's just leather. 
It's just pages and ink. You know what he runs from when you resist? What did Jesus do in Matthew chapter 4? He quoted Scripture. What does Psalm 119.11 say? Thy word have I hid in my that I might not sit against thee. When you stay in your Bibles and you memorize verses and you throw them in the face of Satan, you know what he does? He leaves. This week I had to quote, quote, quote Scripture all week long because he was oppressing me all week. He knew what I was going to preach. And I said, if one person can learn the importance of spiritual warfare and how to fight spiritual warfare, it'll be a victorious Sunday. And last night I got up and prayed and, 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 and I got back in bed and I knew why all this was happening, while I was so discouraged. So I said out loud, well, I'm not going to preach on spiritual warfare tomorrow. A few minutes later, I was asleep. Now I lied to the devil. I did. I needed some sleep, and he was just plaguing me. Folks, he works on our minds. Understand that. Learn that today, that he's working on your minds all the time. You wake up in the morning, he begins to work on you. He's got so many helpers, and he's putting thoughts in your mind and making you think things that aren't true. He's constantly working on me, and he's constantly working on you. That's spiritual warfare. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, these heavenly beings that were thrown out of heaven and are out there. We don't see them, but they're constantly putting thoughts in our mind. Satan doesn't go around with a pitchfork. He's an angel of light. Constantly deceiving us. And I wasn't going to go any further. It's just a brief word, finally, on speaking boldly for the Lord. Paul says in these last few verses that we're to be bold. He says, pray for me to have boldness. I'm an ambassador. Paul's a little bitty guy. I mean, he, he went around killing heretics. Anybody who wasn't a Jew was a heretic. He had the permission to kill him. And then he died by decapitation. Interesting. I love Paul, but Paul was little. Very big man as Saul with all his authority but very little physically. But little, little Paul wrote 14 books of the Bible and started 50 to 51 churches, history tells us. What, what a man he was. No matter how big and strong you were, how, no matter how educated you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how much money you have, you're no match for the enemy. The only way you can defeat him is greater is he that is in you. The living Logos, the Word of God, and the sword of the Spirit. And when I can quote Scripture, I can run Him off. And when I pray and I have boldness in living for God, I'm a victorious Christian. And when I let my guard duty down and don't gird up the loins of my mind and entertain those thoughts and dwell on them and think, oh, how fun it would be, I'm a defeated Christian on that day. There's always hope in First John 1, 9, isn't there? I love that verse. You say, I know what you're going to say, Pastor. You said it before, and I'm going to keep saying it as long as I'm a preacher. If we confess our sins, we don't repent again and get saved again. Repentance is a word that goes along with salvation. But confession is a word that goes along with fellowship. And when our fellowship is broken, we confess it. What does confess it mean, Pastor? Simply to agree with God that you've sinned. 
Oh, God, I had a bad thought, and I dwelt on that thought, Lord. Oh, God, I had a bad thought about this person. I was rude to this person. I thought this person in the store was rude, and I snapped, and what is wrong with me? And you know what happened to me this week is why I went to a pharmacy, and I needed proof of a receipt for my wife. Now, I pay for the insurance, and I pay the credit card, my credit card pays for the medication. The guy said, well, I need a power of attorney from her. And I mean, I'm in this battle. And I said, I'm not going to get a power of attorney. I want you to get me the receipts. He called the pharmacist over and said, we'll mail it to you. And I left there and I thought, I was just rude. I went right back. I said, could I talk to you? I said, I apologize to you. He didn't know I'm a pastor, but regardless, I was wrong. What did I have to do? Apologize. And I confessed it to the Lord. I agreed with God that I was rude. I didn't curse at him or raise my voice or call him a name. I said, I'm not getting a power of attorney. He could tell. Dad, I wasn't a gentle giant at that moment. Now, I've always been nice in there. I know someone by name, and they're always kind to me. I was just preparing for spiritual warfare, and I was in the middle of it and didn't even realize it. In my office, when I was studying, it kept happening. And finally, I said, I know why all this is happening. Only a few times in my life have I experienced things like this on the mission field. There were times we had AK-47s pointed at our face. We thought we were going to die. But we were victorious. That wasn't spiritual warfare. That was real war. And we took out Noriega. We were there. Earthquakes. We've been through 40 hurricanes. All that didn't harm me. But the devil is constantly working on me. And without the Lord and his word, I wouldn't stand a chance. I wouldn't stand a chance and neither do you. We're in a battle with the enemy. Put your armor on. Get that weapon, quote scripture. And those demons and that devil, they'll flee. Resist him, he'll flee because greater is he that is in you. And if you're born again, he's in you and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. If you're not saved today, I'd come and be saved. And the Lord will take up residence in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that just a few people understand spiritual warfare. Understand it's all about the mind. And if he, as a man is in his heart and mind, so is he. You say that in your word, that what we are in our heart and mind will act out of, of what's in our heart. And I just pray, God, for those that are losing the battle, that they'll arm themselves. And God, I pray today, if there's anybody here who's not a Christian, that today they'll come and be saved. Trusting Jesus Christ, they'll become a child of God and you'll possess their residence. Our bodies are the temple. We're thankful you're in there. Bless now in Jesus' name, amen. The altars are open if you need to come and pray. Let's sing.